Good evening, everyone. Uh, live from our studio here in North Minneapolis. It's another wonderful day in the hood. Uh, the weather, this is Bright Lights, uh, your weekly podcast uh, every Wednesday at 7 p.m., where we shine a bright light on achievers and accomplishers uh, in the world of business, uh, ideas, and families. And it's according to how uh, I feel. And what I think, because I am the host and I can decide these things, we might throw in another topic or two. Uh, today's guest I'm excited uh, about is Miss Karen Housley. Uh, Ms. Housley, first of all, uh, you many of you probably know her husband as the Hall of Fame, NHL Hall of Famer, uh, Phil Housley, uh, played uh, hockey here locally. I think it's probably factual to say he was a legend went on the coach in the nhl but the great thing about this and they just uh, an achieving couple uh karen karen has uh blazed her own trail uh of success and achievements uh in tv production and politics and she has done such wonderful work uh for the aging population here in minnesota that we're getting to uh, shortly here. Now, hope everybody had a great 4th of July. Uh, I had a great one. Uh, I haven't had a bad day in my life, but this is especially great. Uh, my wife, my two sons, uh, my oldest son, Darian, flew in from Los Angeles. Uh, my youngest son was here with uh, my grandson, Aiden Prince. And yeah, uh, any day with Aiden, it's a great day. So we had a good time. Uh, I had uh, Spent some time uh, on grilling duties, lobster tail, shrimp, or corn on the cob. Uh, it was just had a wonderful time uh, fellowshipping uh, with the family. Uh, yeah, my thoughts, and, and I'll get to our guests here shortly uh, on the 4th of July, because, you know, sometimes we uh, get so caught up in the celebratory and the food and everything that we forget what the occasion is about. And, but I didn't, and I thought about the 4th of July. And strangely enough, I thought about my name, and I tied it to the 4th of July. And, you know, if any of you ever watch those geologist shows or those oceanographer shows, but the geologist shows specifically, uh, where they are looking at the different layers of the rocks, and each layer uh, has reflective time and history. And I was thinking about that about my name. And then I, I'll make this rather quick. Uh, my last name, Johnson, is taken from the name of my great-grandfather who was sold into slavery in the city of Port Gibson, Mississippi, uh, to a family called Johnson. Uh, and those of you who know a little bit about the Civil War know that there was a battle at Port Gibson. And strangely enough, my hometown, which is 40 miles away, did not have any battles. I think I read somewhere where there was only one Civil War casualty in the whole city of Natchez, Mississippi. Uh, and Natchez has some other history that we'll talk about later. Uh, but so my middle name, Johnson, come, is from my, my great-grandfather's slave owners. Uh, my, my last name, Johnson, my middle, middle name, Lee, uh, I learned uh, in my interest of the Civil War. And it took me a while. I only figured that out after I watched a documentary on the Civil War, the uh, nine-volume uh, documentary by Ken Burns. Uh, long story short, if you every American should watch that, by the way, 
because you cannot understand this country. You cannot understand the South, I don't think, until you understand the Civil War. Long story short there, uh, the way Robert E. Lee is portrayed in that documentary, you come away understanding uh, his appeal to the people in the South, and you come away understanding, and that's when I made the connection. You know, the name Lee, especially as a middle name, is very common down South, and I finally made that connection. The light just went off in my head. That's why there's so many people with Lee in their name down south. So I'm my middle name is Lee. And then the good part about it, my first name, uh, I was named Larry for three days, by the way. And it just so happened uh, that I was born the year the civil rights be uh, movement began. And my mom, uh, after she had named me Lacey, my black mom, had this white nurse who was attending her. And she had a boyfriend named Lacey who was killed in the Korean War. And between my mom and her, I say conspiracy or agreement, or however you want to put it, uh, they changed my name from Larry to Lacey. So my name kind of reflects the history of this country. And, you know, I, I'm proud of my name and I don't try to get rid of it. And uh, what I tell people, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, trouble past and things of this country, but uh, there's no other country I'd rather be in. Uh, this is the country that has afforded me and my family the opportunity to, to be whatever I want to be in life. And when I look back on it, and regardless of what all these critics say, uh, the only thing that has stopped me from being whatever I want to be in this country has been me. And that's a pretty good country, and you really appreciate it. Uh, the first time I traveled outside this country, I started appreciating it more. The uh, first time I was in Nassau in the Bahamas. Then I went to Europe and England and stuff. And you start really appreciating this country for, for the great country it is. So that's my 4th of July story. But here's the thing. Oh, happy birthday, America. And I want to say happy birthday to my niece, uh, Candace, who was also born on the 4th of July. However, without further ado... Uh, let's bring on enough of what I got to say. Uh, let's bring on our guest tonight, uh, Miss Karen Housley. Uh, good evening, Karen. Welcome to Bright Lights. Well, thanks so much for having me, Lacey Lee Johnson. <laughs> it's an honor, and it's nice to know your history. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, I tell that story every once in a while, especially the part about being named Larry for three days. That's uh, funny. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, by the way, Karen, do you have a middle name? Well, I do. It was Karen Marie. That's what my mom and dad named me. Uh, my mom was full-blooded Norwegian. My dad was full-blooded Serbian. Um, so Marie was his side and my mom's Norwegian side. She did the Karen. But when I got married, I changed my middle name, Marie, to my maiden name, Locke. So I'm Karen Locke Housley. Okay. And okay. Uh -huh. uh, my son is Wilson Locke Housley and our third grandson, his first name is Locke. So I like that. That's our family name. And that's my middle name now. Although oldest daughter's pregnant again she's having a girl and i think her middle name is going to be marie so the marie will still live on somehow and and hopefully the name will stay longer than three days <laughs> okay yeah that's a good one okay so karen we've talked a little bit about your family but tell me a little bit about uh where you're from your background a little bit about your family growing up and some of your childhood influences that could pre have predicted 
you being exactly where you are today. Oh, wow. I don't know if anything could have predicted this. I know my parents would have never predicted it. Uh, I was born and raised in South St. Paul, Minnesota. Both my parents were public school teachers. Um, and my mom and dad, Pete and Jeanette, had three girls. I was the middle girl. And we all went to Augsburg College because my mom's father was a professor of theology at Augsburg. He was also a Lutheran minister in Minneapolis. Uh, and so we all went to Augsburg. But I started dating my high school sweetheart, Phil, my senior year of high school. We dated in seventh grade for a little bit and then went our separate ways after the canteen dance. And uh, we each dated other people and ended up back together our, our senior year. And he was supposed to go to the University of Minnesota. I was supposed to, I did go to Augsburg. And then he ended up get draft, getting drafted by the Buffalo Sabres. And he moved out to Buffalo, New York, and I was stuck in Minneapolis. And this was, you know, before email, before cell phones, this was, we were writing letters mm -hmm. to each other mm -hmm. that I keep telling the kids, you're so, like, you can do long distance these days because you can, you can do podcasts like this face to face, <laughs> but not really. But back then it was just writing letters. And so I, after a year at Augsburg, I transferred to the State University of New York at Buffalo and got my degree out there so I could continue to date him because this letter thing was not for me. <laughs> That's well, a couple of things. Uh, the other thing was when I was moved here and and talking, we had to do long distance phone calls, and that cost a lot of money. And yeah. so the wonderful thing about cell phones, you know, is it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, did you and Phil go to the high school prom together? Yes, we did. We um, <sighs> we actually went to homecoming. He was up for homecoming king, and I was up for homecoming queen. And I was dating Matt, the soccer player at the time. My dad was uh, the high school basketball coach at, at our high school. So mm -hmm. so we had one rule in our house, and it was you're only allowed to date basketball players. But I never did that. I never did that because my dad knew too much about them. So I was dating the soccer player at the time, and, and Phil and I got paired up to walk down the aisle together for the coronation. Mm -hmm. Neither of us won, by the way. Um, and Not that I'm bitter, um, <laughs> but... Um, we were walking down. He said, hey, do you want to go to a movie tonight? And I was like, uh, or tomorrow night? And I said, I, I can't. I'm kind of dating Matt. Next day, he asked me again. Next day, he asked me again. So I, I finally went to Matt and said, hey, do you think it's okay if I just go to a movie with Phil House? It'll just be one day. Just one day. I just want to, I, I promise I'll be back. Uh, I never, I never went back. So uh, we went to, we were at the homecoming together. And then we went to our senior prom together. And the rest is history. We ended up getting married um, in 1985, uh, we have four kids. Each one of them were born in a different city, state, or country across the, the U.S. and Canada. Um, our oldest one is 34, and our youngest one is 23. And we've got three grandsons and one granddaughter on the way in December. Wow, that sounds great. Now, you mentioned South St. Paul. If I recall correctly, that used to be like the stockyards here in Minnesota, and it was like a blue collar kind of neighborhood. Uh, I'm assuming that today there are no longer stockyards there. Am I correct? I should know this, but I don't. They still have some um, meat packing plants down okay. there. That's why we were called the South St. Paul Packers because of all the ah, meat packing plants. Uh -huh. We were uh, down on Concord Avenue, which you see if you go 494, you'll see that if, if you're from South St. Paul, you call it Concord. But if you're not, people say Concord. Uh, mm -hmm. That's how we know if you're not from South St. Paul. It's Concord. Um, and so 
Yeah, growing up, the the meat packing plants. We were the number one meat packing, number one slaughterhouse in the world. Uh, and where I lived, very near there, um, we would always go over the Stinky Bridge. That's now the Wakota Bridge, but back then the old bridge we called it the Stinky Bridge because it really, really stunk. And nobody ever told me it was dead animals. I just thought it was like the Mississippi River or something, but no, oh, there uh, there were the yeah. stockyards there, and they're still they're trying to develop it now. Um, and I think in this last legislative budget, they've got um, some grants to for uh, some Somali developments down there. So um, okay. that's that's it, it's it's up and coming now that it's turning around. Doesn't smell as much. That's nice to know. Now yeah, yeah. you mentioned moving to Buffalo. Uh, I think you got a BA in communication studies, and I think you used that BA to find your first job in television why don't you tell us a little bit about your work in the television industry i did so when i moved to buffalo this was kind of a my parents were not real happy with me because you know i was supposed to graduate from augsburg and i just took off at 18 years old and moved to buffalo new york um i had to get it took me six years to finish college because i had to pay for every single credit on my own as I went. So I had two waitressing jobs um, while I was going to school. So it took me a little bit longer, um, but I don't care. I finished and mm -hmm. I did. I got a job at the NBC affiliate WGRZ in Buffalo, New York. And I worked in the, as an assistant producer um, for two years there. And then I moved over to the ABC affiliate to be the weekend producer of their 6 and 11 p.m. news, which is late. Their news is at 6 and 11. So you get home at like 12.30, 1 in the morning after you wrap everything up and then you still have to wind down. But it worked because that was the same as Phil's schedule. He His games would be at 7.30 at night. He'd get home around midnight. And so <laughs> that's when you crack open the beer is at midnight, just so you could wind down at that time of night. But yeah, so I worked there. I absolutely loved, loved, loved the work. But after our kids, uh, the first one was born and I was working full time, it was just, it was, it was a toll. And then Phil got traded to Winnipeg and I couldn't, I couldn't work in Winnipeg. So that's when I surrendered to motherhood. And uh, I, that's when I wrote a book. I went, oh. what do I do now? Um, so yeah, it, I really, really, and, and um, after, after getting a degree in communications and working in television news, um, I absolutely love the industry. So when we ended up back here in Minnesota, that's when I started the radio show, the Karen Housley show. Um, because I absolutely, I love what you're doing, Lacey. I wish, I wish I could set aside one night a week to do a podcast of something. I haven't gotten my head wrapped around it, but I think it's amazing what you're doing because it's just so fun. It's just so fun to talk to people. Yes, Everybody yes. has such interesting stories and finding out who they are, where they're from, what they're doing, what their goals are. Um, so interesting. So I absolutely love what you're doing. And we try to keep it positive here. Our kids are inundated with so much negative stuff, especially in our community, uh, all the obstacles in life, all the unfairness. And I'm here to say to them, and this is what I say to them in person, and, and it really have an impact on them. You can be whatever you want to be, and let me show you how to do it. So you're exactly right. Now, I'm not going to let you skip over this. A crack open, open a beer at midnight. That sounds like a South St. Paul girl there to me. Am I, do, I, <laughs> do I have that yeah, correct? I, <laughs> I love you, you that. Take the girl out of South St. Paul, but you can't take the South St. Paul out of the girl, and I'm very proud of it. 
<laughs> I like that. I like that. Uh, the other thing is uh, in journalism, and I mentioned my oldest son uh, was in town for the 4th of July. He majored in journalism and he and I, well, let me just be upfront. Boy, I think journalism today is in such a sad state that you shouldn't even call it journalism anymore. Uh, what do you think about the current state of quote unquote journalism uh, today, Karen? And where do we, how do we fix this? If 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 you see the same issues that I see, it is it it's really sad. And mm-hmm. and I don't know how old your son is, but he's probably in the same age range of, as my kids. Um, they they get their news from places that. I, I just cringe sometimes because it's it's not real. It's not the facts, but it, it's the flavor of the day and they just run with it and they believe it. And then you try to reel them back in to watch, of course, what I'm watching. Um, but then they think that's all cultish too. It's, it's yeah. I think everything has gone, it's so polarized, so polarized that you can't trust it. You just can't trust any sort of journalism. And it's, it's really sad. It's really sad. And, and then even now at 57 years old, I'm still searching for what I think is the, the best truth that fits me, you know? And instead I just want the facts, just give me the facts and let me decipher whether I like them or not. Just give me the real facts, but you can't get the real facts anymore. So it's, it's really sad. Yeah. One of my favorite, TV shows of all time is Columbo and you almost have to be a detective uh, to follow every loose end uh, and dig into it. I don't know how anybody out there really know what's going on because I put a lot of work into it and I know how much work it is to sort out the BS and the, and the bias from what's really going on. And it's, it's just sad, you know, I mean, it really is. And uh, the sad part about it is when I was growing up, there was there's always a bias, but now it's just perf, perf, purposeful deceit, mm-hmm. and so so yeah, it is sad. I don't know what we do or do about it, uh, but uh, Kyron, we're gonna have to figure out what we're gonna do about it, and it, it just and the impact it have on our children. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like they've been indoctrinated to all these things, and it's kind of scary how effective. Uh, the public school system and media and pop culture can be indoctrinated people. Absolutely. And I think now that the older two, our older two daughters have kids, mm-hmm. um, it's starting to sink in. And I, I've always preached, just ask questions. I don't care what you believe, but please always challenge any information you're getting and ask questions and then let it settle into your head. So now when it comes to, um, whether it's it's vaccinations or this whole pandemic or um, where they're going to send the kids to school. And of course, I knew where they should go to school, which isn't where they're going to go to school. Right, 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 right. I was trying um, and I'm th- I may still get them there. But I said, fine, go ahead. But just don't pick where everybody else is going because that's where everybody else is going. Please ask these questions. And and she did. She actually picked something different than than the neighbors. Um, so that's what I think our, our youth needs to do is just ask questions and, and make sure that the answer makes sense. Okay. So, so, so you're transitioned from, uh, TV work to being a housewife and mom, 
because you didn't want to go to Winnipeg. I shouldn't say it like that, but you didn't. I go to went Winnipeg. to Winnipeg. You went to Winnipeg oh, because you did go to Winnipeg. Okay, good, good. And that, that, that makes sense. Let me clarify that. Uh, but somewhere down the line, you say, "Hey, I'm going to enter politics and uh, explain what went into that decision, Karen." Well, that one, the the seed was planted a long time ago after our fourth baby was born. Um, I, we had a financial advisor that, that, cause Phil had played quite a few years. And so I, I called him up. I, I couldn't sleep at night cause I didn't know if we'd have enough money to send all four kids to college. So I called him up one day and I said, Hey, Ernie, you know, do we have enough money? Are we going to be able to send these kids to school? And he said, Oh, car, car. That's what he called me. Mm -hmm. Car, car. Uh, you just make sure you put a good meal on the table for Phil and make sure you keep changing those baby's diapers. And I went, you can't believe you just said that to me. So I, I was very upset, which is why I dove into reading every Peter Lynch book, uh, books on Warren Buffett, every, every which way of investing, started an investment club, ended up writing a book on teaching women how to invest in the stock market with just $50 a month. It was, it was uh, bought by Random House. I was on a 10-city book tour, and I absolutely loved it everything about educating everybody because as as women we can juggle so much but that one piece that financial part of our world we sometimes just like to have our husbands do that so mm -hmm. it was fun to educate people on how they could do it themselves so now when i call ernie i know exactly what i'm asking him so when i was writing that book i said the only other thing i don't really feel comfortable with is politics i don't understand um the real, uh, what being a Republican is or a Democrat or how it all works. Uh, and of course I'd moved around so many times, 13 times before we got back here to Minnesota. Um, but I thought that's something I, I, the only way I'm going to learn about is if I actually do it. And I owned a real estate business. I still do here in, in Stillwater area. And I was about ready to leave the state in 2010. I was so frustrated over our, our taxes and, and the structure here and how I felt like our state and our government was trying to put small businesses out of business that I was about ready to pack up and move to Florida where there was no state income tax. And my neighbor came to me who was a big activist in the Republican Party and said, why don't you run for state Senate? And I went, I don't even know who my state senator is, but okay, that sounds kind of cool. Not knowing the district I was living in was very, very lean Democrat. But um, I, I ran, learned a ton, uh, almost beat the incumbent, lost by 600 votes, um, and then ran again in 2012 and won. So that was it. I was completely green. Um, and it was, it was good to be green. I wished... Um, I wished I could have known the whole campaign process, but that was it. I mean, I ended up at the Capitol. I didn't even know where the bathrooms, that was the first time I'd ever been to the Capitol because South St. Paul, we didn't do tours of the Capitol, um, was as I was the elected Senator. So, um, it was an interesting journey and I've loved every minute of it. Just, um, fighting for our conservative beliefs and values, trying to protect our pocketbook and really serving everybody in my district in the state, um, whether they're independent or Democrat or, or non-political, just really trying to help as many people as I can. So based on what uh, I have read, I understand after the first loss, there was some redistricting that kind of helped a little bit. 
uh, and where I'm going with that is where are we now uh, in Minnesota uh, on redistricting? redistricting? Uh, where are we at the, in that process? Well, Do you have any concerns about it? Or are you, you're pretty happy about the way it's going to turn out. I have absolutely no idea how it's going to turn out. So every 10 years after they do the census mm -hmm. um, and my area has grown, I'm as far east, I represent Stillwater and Forest Lake and the surrounding St. Croix Valley, as far east as you can get in Minnesota right before you get to Hudson, Wisconsin. So mm -hmm. we can't go any further east. So mine is either going to have to um, go west into Woodbury or cut short. We don't know which way the, the lines are going to be drawn. Um, but every 10 years they redraw the lines and the Republicans will draw their lines, the Democrats will draw their lines and they aren't going to be the same because of course everybody's going to gerrymander it the way it's going to work best for their candidates. Mm -hmm. um, and then it'll go to the courts. And in 2012, this is the same way it happened then. And we didn't find out until uh, the beginning of April uh, mm -hmm. where the districts were going to be. And so when I, in 2010, uh, after they were redistricted, now 2012, I was in a district with Ray Vandeveer, Republican, and Ted Lilly, a Republican, and then there was me. All three of us got lumped into one district. So um, who knows? I could be paired up with Carla Bigham south of me in Afton. I could be paired up with Senator Susan Kent or Senator Mark Coran, or I don't know. And there, okay. of course, my district is split. The north half is very Republican and my south half is very Democrat. I have a Democrat housemate on the south and a Republican one on the north. So depending which way that goes is is yeah. still to be determined. Okay. And for those uh, in our audience uh, who want to understand this whole redistricting thing, the census is called for in our U.S. Constitution. You have to do it. And the goal of it is to, to help determine how we're going to uh, apportion uh, our representatives in the in Congress. And some state loses uh, representatives, some state gain, and you have to redraw the district to make sure there's even uh, type of population distribution within these states. That's the best, quickest way I can explain it right now. Uh, but hey, everyone out there, Every once in a while, like I do with the Bible, I also do with the Constitution, pick it up and read a section. Just pick up a section of the Constitution and read it. Yeah, you'll be amazed at what you find. And the other thing it does for me, uh, it helps you understand some Americans that you think are off their rockers, but you start understanding where they're coming from if you read the Constitution. Because the surprising thing for a lot of you out there, these people that you think are off the rocker, they just know the Constitution and they're concerned about it. And so I'll, I'll leave it that right, leave that there right now. So I also understand that you um, became the chair of a newly founded aging committee in the Senate, and that you've been doing some advocacies and passing some legislation uh, specifically designed to protect and support and enhance the lives of our elderly citizen. Uh, take a few minutes, uh, Karen, to uh, tell our audience what got you interested in that and what have you accomplished there? Absolutely, that is uh, truly my passion. I know when I got to the Senate, Senate, Senator Julie Rosen said, what are you passionate about? What area do you wanna work in? And I was like, I, again, I don't know. I just wanna find the bathroom. Um, mm -hmm. So she said, it'll, it'll take a little while, but you'll figure it out. And about mm -hmm. that time, my mom um, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and going through that process with my mom and dad, moving them from their 
their home to a town home and then from a town home to an assisted living and then my mom to memory care and going through that process of one how are we going to pay for this what part does insurance pay for what does her future look like what do all these documents say that we're filling out what do we do with mom and dad's uh where are they each going to live together apart it was I, I was so happy that I was there to advocate for my parents, but I saw so many seniors across the state that had nobody for them. And if this was that difficult for me, I couldn't even imagine being 75, 85 years old trying to figure this out and do this. And, and then I realized there was nothing in the state Senate uh, that was a committee that was just fighting and being the voice for our seniors in Minnesota. So um, I, I rallied and begged Senator Gazelka that we could have an aging and long-term care committee so we could fight for seniors on issues that were important to them. And that's what we've been doing ever since 2016. And I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. We've got great things done from um, financial exploitation of vulnerable adults, those kind of bills. Anybody takes care anybody that takes advantage of any of my old people, I'm going to make sure that you're going to go to jail and you're going to have to be held accountable for whatever you did because that's just nothing makes me matter. Um, mm -hmm. And then we went as far as a, a big bill to making sure that we keep seniors safe in their assisted living and their nursing homes to make sure that they're not physically or verbally abused there. Uh, we've got the assisted living licensure law. We were the last state in the country to license our assisted living homes. So now we, we've got this big umbrella. So if you're in assisted living, there actually is is some um, uh, laws that you have to follow to make sure that you're that you're in line and making sure that our seniors are safe and they and they have some recourse if some things are uh, bad or happening. Um, we got cameras. We, we were that was because I wanted to put a camera in my mom's room because I knew there was somebody that was stealing my dad's pain pills out of their uh, assisted living room. I knew it. Um, mm -hmm. And I put a camera up and I got in a little bit of trouble, but I also caught the person who was stealing the pain pills. So um, I fought to make sure that that if you're a family member or just the senior themselves, if you want to put a camera in the room at the if you have the residence um, um, okay then you should be able to do that. So it's just, it's every day there's something new that I'm like, you know what, we're gonna take that and run with it because that's the right thing to do. So it's so fun to just be the voice for, for seniors and uh, they're such wonderful, wonderful people. So I found my passion in 2016 and I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, I, I have a belief that you judge the health of a society by the way they treat their elderly, their women and their children. And that's the way I look at it. Don't brag to me about how much money you got and how big are your, if you're not treating your elderly, your women and your children uh, the way they should be treated and protecting and supporting them. Uh, so now what are the current uh, challenges or issues of one of the most uh, important issues that uh, faces the aging right now that you're looking to address uh, sometime are you are currently working on it uh, addressing well this last year and a half has been really really hard on them um, with with covid um, it was a horrible year for them and it's now trying to get them out of it um, there still are lockdowns at assisted living if if um, an employee gets COVID or is diagnosed with it, then everybody's back on lockdown in the in the assisted living and no, none of the family members can come and see them. So it's trying to navigate through that, how we can get them back to normal, uh, get their lives back to normal. They, they Now they've lived through it. 
mm-hmm. which had to be the scariest time of their life ever, knowing that the, the most vulnerable were those that were over the age of, of 60. Um, so now that they've lived through it, just getting their lives back to normal is, I still get letters and calls and emails uh, about when can I go see my parent? Why Why does every assisted living have different rules per their their assisted living home? So just just really trying to get them back to normal is where we're at right now. Well, we went through a similar uh, experience with our dad. And I should say my two older sisters, Glenn and Jean, I'll mention their name. They were just such wonderful advocates. And ooh, they, they just were great. In fact, I tell my son, son, hopefully you have some daughters when you get older. <laughs> They're going to treat you a lot better than sons. But uh, you mentioned some things about getting letters and emails uh, for our audience out there, out here. Uh, I know a lot of them are struggling with some of the same issues that you confronted because if they're like me, we weren't prepared for this. It just came up and we hadn't thought about it. Uh, what are some places that uh, you would recommend or what to start for resources if they have the same type of questions, they need the same type of help uh, that you and I both needed? Is there a, a place they should start uh, besides their uh, medical provider? Yeah, Um, we have an ombudsman for long-term care. Her name is Cheryl Hennon. Um, She's in charge of, I think we probably, I think we have 18 ombudsmen now that actually can help seniors answer these kind of questions. What kind of home should I move into? Where would you recommend? Is there a a grading system for those that have a lot of complaints or a lot of violations? You know, what are the good homes? What are the bad homes? Um, just Google Ombudsman for Long-Term Care Minnesota. Okay. Cheryl Hennen is her name, H-E-N-N-E-N. Um, and she will d- direct you to the Ombudsman for your area. Uh, that That is where I usually direct people because they have so many great resources and they're changing every single day. And she mm-hmm. can direct you to the one in your neighborhood. And then, and then there's always um, the Board of Aging, the Minnesota Board of Aging. They also have uh, great resources. So Google that too, and both of those will bring you up some phone numbers or emails that you can call. Excellent. I hope you out in the audience is taking notes of that. If you haven't, go back and rewatch my uh, yeah. podcast and pull it out. Okay, so another area uh and you mentioned earlier when you were thinking about moving out of minnesota and the reason you were thinking about moving out of minnesota let's talk a little bit about the state of minnesota i mean the state of the state of minnesota let's say uh i heard a statistic last year that said the average income of the people moving out of minnesota was over two hundred thousand dollars a year and the average income of the people moving into Minnesota was $37,000 a year. And Kyron, I'm a numbers guy. I'm a data guy and I connect them. But Kyron, that doesn't sound like it bode well for the future of this state. Uh, what do you say about the current and future economics uh, status of the state of Minnesota? And particularly as it applied to the, the people that we're attracted versus the people that we're leaving because of our tax structure, for of course, a lot of other things. Uh, give us your opinion about where we are in that particular area. 
It's, it's really sad because it's true. They are moving out. I ran for the U.S. Senate in 2018. Um, that was the same year you ran too, wasn't it, Lacey? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and I remember calling donors and they are just like, we're out of here. We or not, we can't take Minnesota anymore. And I kept thinking of all of the good people. And they, they were making more than $200,000 a year, I'm guessing. Um, but they were so philanthropic in the state of Minnesota and in their community. And now they've just taken all of that money and brought it someplace else. And that's what I think. And I've seen it now just in, in my Stillwater community that these people that used to be here that were giving to our theaters and, and to our downtown communities, they're, they're gone. Um, it's, that's, that's tough. That's tough for the state. And I don't know if, if the governor saw that coming or did he really care? I don't know. But those, those people really did want to stay here and they really loved Minnesota, but you could only push them to a point when you look at the bottom line uh, and you go, I can, and I do have some that have just moved over into Wisconsin and a lot of them that have moved into South Dakota or North Dakota. And when you look at all around us, the tax structure is much better. You can't blame them. Right. So we are, our tax base is now gone too. And they, they were paying a lot mm -hmm. of taxes. Mm -hmm. So I, I hope we can figure out some way to get these people to move back and at least keep who we have here and have them stay. So how do you explain this? Um, what's what, just, I don't want to use a bad word here. How do you explain <laughs> this? I just don't care about these people moving out and who's moving in on the behalf of our political leadership in this state. Because this is not good. Uh, and they just almost don't seem to care. How do you explain that, Karen, in your mind? I I don't know if I don't know if they see things the same way we do. Um, I, I I just I, I sometimes try to get into their head to go. Do mm -hmm. you really believe like that, or is there some ulterior motive that maybe you want to get more people on the government dole and and give out more subsidies, but that, that doesn't make sense to me it either. Yeah, it doesn't. No, it doesn't make sense. But where are they, who's going to pay for this? That's what I always say. Who's going to pay for this? Who's going to pay for this? And you know, it's all of us who's going to pay for it. And then you push people to the point and they go, well, we're not going to be here and we're going to help you pay for it, which is going to cost everybody else more money to pay for that. And so for them not to care, I, I don't know. I can't figure out how to just have that conversation and have what they answer make sense. And I somewhere deep down and they have to know it doesn't make sense either. Or, or do they really want socialism? Do they really, is it, is that where they want this country to go and this state to go where we all just give up everything we make, give it to the government and the government just pretty much owns all of us and we don't have any freedom. That's where I feel some people really do want it to go. And we cannot let that happen. Lacey Lee Johnson. Okay. <laughs> okay, Karen, uh, Marie, I forgot another one. <laughs> but here's the thing, a couple of things there. Uh, even whatever system you have, you need people with money to support it. Uh, unless, and we're not going to even get into this modern monetary theory that type thing and that silliness. Uh, so that's number one. And number two, you mentioned earlier, you don't know if they see it. But Karen, it's math. Mm -hmm. It's like saying people don't see one plus one equals two. So I'm having a hard time struggling with this. And you're right. I think there's some type 
of crazy political philosophy at work here uh, that's going that's not going to work. History has proven it's not going to work. It's been tried everywhere else. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people who, who favor this philosophy think that if we just tinker it a little bit and do it a little different than Stalin or Lenin or all those guys, it'll work here or, or some of those other uh, other countries. So let's, the other issue, though, and, and you touched on it, uh, the state need revenues uh, to pay bills and support the programs that it's done. And where I'm getting to there, Karen, is uh, the business environment here. I mean, businesses are moving out. We got business, and, and, and let's face it, the metropolitan area is probably the biggest economic engine for the state. And it's the money and taxes on those companies and things that pays for all these programs. But once again, no one, they almost seem to not care about the fact that they are running these businesses out of Minnesota, that they're destroying these businesses, and some of them would never come back. Are we at another situation where they don't see the obvious or there might be some other political motives? And I guess finally, what do we do about uh, the situation? And I, I'm talking to a lot of these businesses. And, and, you know, if you've ever been in business, you know what it takes to get there and the sacrifice and everything. Uh, and we're seeing businesses lose their whole livelihood. Uh, where do we go from here with what we've done to? a lot of our businesses here in the Twin Cities. And and you're hearing the same thing I'm hearing. We're, there's going to be more businesses that are leaving the state of Minnesota because it, the tax climate is not friendly. And it's almost like we punish businesses for getting being successful. You know, you have Medtronic starting out of the, the uh, garage in Minneapolis, growing it to a, a huge company. Um, all of the Fortune 500 companies uh, that that grew here and wanted to stay here, and they're now just leaving left and right. And not only they are leaving, but they're taking a ton of employees with them. So then I, you remember what happened in 2008, the job market crashed, the housing market crashed. And, and I feel that's going to be coming if we don't change it here in Minnesota. We do have to, we have to, I, I think, when I'm talking to my friends on the other side of the aisle, when I can't understand how they think and, and we just are, are completely different on this, I think they think big businesses are evil and they talk about them like they're evil. And you go, I mean, Target employs how many thousands of people that are, are the breadwinners of their family that are putting food on the table and you want Target to leave because they're bad? They're not bad. They're amazing. Um, and so we really have to incentivize businesses to stay here and whichever and and mind you we don't have the greatest climate in the world so mm -hmm. i mean for somebody to choose minnesota over florida it should be something a little bit better than picking florida uh or north dakota or nevada uh, or tennessee uh so we we have to make our our business climate better and not for the big business uh businesses or the the evil ceos but for the trickle-down effect so you can have families having a career and putting food on their table. That's what it is. But they never, you never hear them say about how many people these big businesses actually employ. Um, that's the part that they just take out and they want to attack the CEOs and attack the businesses. And I think that's completely wrong. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, you remind me uh, when I was in politics running for office, uh, my opponent from the other side, he made one of the 
most incredulous statement I've ever heard. And then explain it to me. He said, I don't trust for profit businesses. I'm like, I'm like, what? You wouldn't go out to Rosetta or anything to say that, but he was representing our neighborhood here. And I can't imagine how does someone like that get in a position of leadership? And I promise, Karen, I'm not going to get on a soapbox yet. I'm going to try to be kind. Uh, but how do we keep electing these type of people, man? And even when people see what they're doing to the state, when they see what this do they're doing to our cities, they still keep putting them in office. It's just incredulous to me. Uh, so uh, to think about it, we got businesses uh, failing. We've got tax policies and other policies driving out people with money who contributed to our tax uh, base and revenues. We got people coming in who basically take from our revenues. And we have a situation where, uh, especially in the metropolitan area, uh, it's becoming unsafe. And largely do, do because our leadership, and once again, you know, I, I don't like using words like silly or something like that, but sometimes you just can't uh, uh, resist it uh, because they are letting people burn down police stations and talking about defunding the police and things like that. Uh, Karen, where do we go from here from a political standpoint, from a government standpoint, from a leadership standpoint? Uh, I think some of it is educating uh, the citizenry. I think uh, another part of it is just getting people to focus on these issues rather than voting with their hearts and looking at, I've been voting this way for the past 20 years. But in your opinion, how do we fix this? And what's the probabilities of us fixing this? Well, I think the only place to go is up because Minnesota does not look that attractive right now for all of the reasons that you mentioned. Uh, and I think many people in Minnesota, their eyes were opened over this last year and a half um, with everything that happened in Minneapolis with burning down police stations um, to defunding the police. You talk to a suburban mom and there's no way she wants no. any police departments defunded. Um, and I think people have finally woken up and they went and looking at the leadership, this is not the direction that the people that I'm talking to. And I, I remember my district is 50, 50. Um, it is about 75%. This is not the way we want things to go. So I am hoping in this next election, people really will ask questions and really dig deep and, and, ask the questions like what is best for Minnesota? What is best for my kids when it comes to school, when it comes to safety, when it comes to my pocketbook, if I want to start a business, what is really best for Minnesota? And looking back at the last couple of years, what, we, what we've been doing has not been working. So I think people of Minnesota have woken up and I guess we'll see in 2022. Okay. So I know you and the legislature and the governor and everyone involved in the process has worked long and hard to finally give us a budget. Uh, where we are, where are we on the budget? I know you completed your work uh, last week, I think it was. Uh, tell us uh, what, on a high level, uh, what uh, were the results of all your hard work and labor? I, I think at one time they were predicting 
uh, budget deficit, but I heard maybe they was predicting uh, actually uh, a budget surplus. Uh, was are we predicting a deficit or a surplus? Surplus number one, and tell us about. Give us some highlights on this new budget that uh, you went down in the dungeon and worked with these people on and came out with this great thing for the people of Minnesota. <laughs> this great, very expensive thing is what it was. Uh, okay. um, for those that in, that are, are watching or listening, um, every other year is a budget year. So um, this was the budget year. Next year will be a bonding year where we'll go out and bond for roads and bridges, things, big projects. Uh, that's, that's supposed to be the focus. This year's budget, next year bonding. Um, so we were predicted to have a $1.8 billion surplus this year. So everybody was coming to us for money, 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 money. Then COVID hit and we were projected to have a $2 billion deficit. So it, it, so so if you think of your own pocketbook, it's hard to figure out what to do going forward because all of a sudden you had a $2 billion surplus and then a $2 billion deficit. And then the federal government came in with all of this money and then we had more money then we knew what to do with. And what do you do with that then? Because you know rainy days are coming. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm one of those people like, let's just put stuff away because we know there's gonna be a, the, when I came into the legislature, there's a $6 billion deficit. So I'd much rather if there's all this money coming in to put some to set aside. But when there's a Democrat governor and a Democrat house, and then we're the Republican Senate, there's, there's two different philosophies. The Democrats want to spend everything and we want the rainy day fund. So that's pretty much what took so long. We finally did come to an agreement. We spent $52 billion, 51 and a half of Minnesotans money. And most of that is taken up with health and human services and then education. We, we, Everybody always wants more money for education, more money, more money, more. It's never going to be enough money. I try to tell people I that. Agree, I agree with gave, you. Yep, mm -hmm. that's all they want. We ended up raising the per pupil formula by 2% this coming up year and 1% after that. Um, that. That, I guess, is a highlight uh, that there will be more money per pupil. But I, of course, think there's probably another way that we could we could um, go back in and see all the waste, fraud, and abuse in government and all the different agencies. I think we could trim them all down and give more money to, to students. But that's what we that's what we did. So we, it it took so long to get that budget and get agreement uh, again, because I'm just going to say, thank goodness we had the Senate, that there was some blocking going on, um, that we didn't spend absolutely everything. So we will be back. I was telling you earlier, we will be back. Um, we have money that's going for um, it's called hero pay. Those people who are in long term care or hospitals that actually did stay and work in the in the um, yeah, kind of the scary areas, the dangerous areas when it came mm -hmm. to COVID. So there's $250 million that the federal government has, has sent to Minnesota and um, we can allocate where that is supposed to go. So I think we're doing that between now and September. I'm hoping we can maybe push that out a little bit so we can have a little um, longer time to decide where that money is going to go. Okay. Well, I'm not going to stay on this soap box uh for long when it comes to education and spending money and class size uh i live here in north minneapolis i'm very familiar with education the issue of the achievement gap i've talked to educators all over the country i know them very well the, you, you can give them all the money you want they're not going to close the achievement gap uh, mm -hmm. because their whole point of view and philosophy and approach is wrong and that's my thing and i know it's wrong uh 
and I challenged them to prove me wrong. Uh, you mentioned the monies that's uh, allocated in the current budget. You mentioned the monies that's coming in from the feds. Uh, any of this, if I'm a small business owner and I was affected by the riots and things and I was affected by the COVID shutdown, what's in that budget for me? Yeah, there was, um, gosh, I can't remember how many billions of dollars that came from the federal government, uh, which the government had executive power then, so he could decide where it was all going to go. So we were we were constantly fighting all session long from January until, well, we finally got the executive powers taken away from him last Thursday. Um, but he could hold the purse strings for all of that. And that's not the way government is set, is set up. There's supposed to be, you know, three three legs on the stool, the House, the Senate, and the governor gets to decide where these budget dollars are going. So we finally got that taken back. But um, when it comes to the money going forward, I forgot what your question was, Lacey. Uh, what what dollars of funding is available for small businesses yes. that's been affected? So, so they could have applied, if you were a small business, a, a restaurant, or if you were a, a theater, or if you were um, a... a whatever who had to shut down or, or dial back, um, you could apply for a, a PPP loan. That's what it was called. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what it stands for. Yeah. But then Minnesota came in. At, let's say you got a $200,000 loan. Then Minnesota came in and Governor Walls said he wanted to tax that. So this was a loan that you got from the federal government and now Minnesota wanted to tax it. And we were like, oh my gosh, nothing like kicking them when they're down. Like, no. So that was one of the things in the in the budget deal that we were able to negotiate and make sure that our businesses weren't hurt again there. But there's still more money. There's still um, the Department of Economic Development um, still going forward. We'll have some more loans, especially for those events, those uh, events and um, like uh, We Fest or any um, sportsman show, all of those that were canceled for a whole year there's still some more money out there for a lot of those businesses to apply for the loans from the Department of Economic Development, DEED. Okay, uh, at DEED, that's, that's DEED. would be the starting point. Okay, good, yep. good, good. You mentioned the governor's executive power, executive emergency executive powers, and how, for lack of a better, I'll just say how it's being misused or misapplied. <laughs> let's, let's be diplomatic. Uh, I don't like being that. How it's abused. Let's let's say how that was being abused. Uh, are there any plans to change the legislation, uh, the statutes, or whatever, to make sure that we don't ever get in a situation again where we hand over this type of power and authority to the governor? Uh, and well, no matter who's it what part of the governor's in. They probably shouldn't have that type of power. So are there any plans to uh, do something about that going forward? Yeah. Do you think our forefathers ever saw anything like that coming? Like that, I couldn't even believe it when it happened. You, you just go, this in, in this free world, that cannot happen. And it happened. So yeah, we have, there's, there's a couple of different bills out there right now. And who knows where they're going to go when there's a Democrat House and Senate or Democrat House and, and governor. This, these are Republican bills that say you have to get the approval of both the House and the Senate in order to um, get executive powers. Right now it was you had to have the House and, and Senate disapprove of it, which right. didn't happen. So, 
He just got to keep them. So there are bills out there that I'm hoping we can get passed. And that should work for, for the Democrats, too, because what if it were flipped and it was a Republican right. government? Right, so, right, right. Yeah, it, it can't be like that. It's just to be left out of all of those discussions and spending all of that money, which it went to a lot of places that not everybody would approve of, but this was all the governor's doing with when he was the almighty and powerful walls. <laughs> well, you know, uh, one uh, benefit of growing older is that you have a context and history isn't something that you read in a book is something you've lived. And where I'm going with this is that we talked about the sad state of journalism. We talked about uh, the framers of the Constitution never envisioning uh, this type of uh, singular power by an elected official. Where I'm going is that, based, and I'm a big fan of civics and history, there's a lot of things that's happened over the last four years that I'm like, wow, this is scary. And uh, the whole framers of the Constitution was designed to prevent a lot of this stuff. But between uh, the technology and media, and I heard someone, uh, I read somewhere where they say one of the uh, flaws of the Constitution is that when the framers was writing it, they didn't quite understand how the uh, how our brains work. They didn't quite understand how propaganda work and the power of the media. They didn't envision the technology. Uh, are you concerned about where we are at uh, right now in the trends and uh, well, let me put it this way: as much as I am, Karen, uh, are you? And 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 once again, what do we do about it? Because that's ultimately the question. It it's absolutely the scariest thing out there when you're running your own campaign um, and you've got your Facebook ads out there, and then Facebook censors you because you're a Republican. Um, they don't say that's why they find something offensive just because you are a Republican. Um, that's, it's very, very scary to see where big tech has gone in squelching our freedom of speech. If you want to be a platform out there for the freedom of speech, then let it be free instead mm -hmm. of censoring it. And I think that's happening across all of the different platforms. And, you know, it, it kind of brings to light that conspiracy theory. Is that really what the reason was behind starting these is is that what um they wanted to do is to really influence politics and where this country is going because they're doing a very good job of it and now we're all like oh my gosh stop the boat you know so uh we've got a it, it's it's scary lacy and i know you are too we've got to we've got to figure out what to do to fight back whether it's trump filing his lawsuit or each of us boots on the ground here fighting back so i've been I've been banned from Facebook twice for saying I still don't know what, um, but I'm back yeah. on there again. And then I go, why am I even on there? There's so many politicians that just gotten off Twitter, and I, I keep thinking I should just get off. I should just get off. Um, uh, but it it is it is very scary. Those things are. Yeah. I don't know what we do, Lacey. Yeah, and we're back to and the whole education thing is another issue that we'll bring you back on to talk to. But we're back to the, uh, the situation where people aren't learning civics anymore. And when I was taught civics, the whole idea was to let all the ideas, freedom of speech, to let them all go out there and don't be censoring anything and let the people decide and let them fight ideas, fight it out in public. But you're right. Now we got people that... If you if your idea doesn't agree with mine, we're not going to let it out. And we got a big tech companies, and a lot of them are run by younger people who, once again, like my children and your children, 
uh, they've been indoctrinated that certain ideas are just e from evil people and whatever we do to stop it. And it's kind of sad of where we're going there. Okay, so uh, Miss Karen, I know you got to go fix uh, dinner or something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a hockey game on Lacey. It is oh, the yes, right. finals. Tampa yes, right. Out. Got the whole yeah. family up there. I can hear Yeah, that like, is What's right. What's going on? Uh, do I dare ask who are you rooting for in the Stanley Cup finals? Well, we it's still it's not looking good for Montreal. It's not looking right? good for Montreal. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I you know, I, I'm always cheering for who's ever down three games. Like you always you I want a good seven game series, yeah, and then whoever yeah. wins after that. I hate when anybody wins four games where there's a sweep. That's just no fun. So that yeah. Montreal came back and, and won one game is good. I, I would like it to go to seven games, and then I don't really care because then I got seven nights of watching hockey. That's a good answer. So quickly the here, what are, answer? <laughs> yes, it is. You've been in politics too long. Uh, so quickly here, Karen, uh, what are your future plans when you look out over the future? What are some of the things that at least you're willing to share uh, with our audience here that you're looking forward to? Um, you know what? I'm going to stay in politics. Uh, mm. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, I love helping people. I love uh, dealing with the issues and, and fixing it and getting things done, working hard, keeping busy and, and the people, people, people are, are, are so much fun. I don't know at what level, um, if I want to move on that running statewide was so very hard. Um, and it's hard on the family. Uh, so I don't know if I'll do statewide again soon, but maybe again someday. Um, or who knows? Who knows? The state Senate seat, I absolutely love, love my district, and we'll see how that gets reapportioned. Uh, but I know in the, the near future, I'm going to be spending the this summer and fall with my family that I have missed so much. And now Phil's home for a while, so uh, I'll be able to spend time with him. And then the new grandbaby comes, so then I'll have four. So I'm so All excited. Right. Uh, I'm jealous. I, I, I want three more also. I got one right now. So, uh, Kyron, we are uh we focus on the positive here uh so i'd like for you to uh just leave our audience with a positive note uh something to uh, feel good about and look forward to uh as we get ready to sign off here well good um i would love to thanks for for having me lacy uh i i just want to uh let everybody know that we made it. We got through COVID. There's there's only a, a bright light now. And to get out there and, and live and live freely and joyously and go spend time with your family. And when it does come to politics, don't poo-poo it. Just ask questions and look at the issues and, and look what's important to you. And then just go out there and do something about it because it's fun to get involved. So we're out there. We're free again. So go get involved in whatever it is, your neighborhood, your city, or, or your state. Uh, we'd love to have you. Okay, so Karen, uh, uh, we're very thankful to have you as our guest. Um, every guest I have on, I want to have a follow-up sometime in the future because we can't get to everything as we bore our audience, I guess. Uh, and to our audience, uh, uh, if you want to financially support this podcast, you can go out to LaceyJohnson.com, and there's always ways to contribute to what we're doing. Uh, we promise to get better. Uh, so Ms. Karen, uh, go and 
get you a bowl of popcorn or whatever, and a pop of beer or something, a bowl. Cracking open a beer. <laughs> crack, yeah, crack it open. <laughs> and enjoy the game. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again very soon. And I'm going to give you a call to talk about uh, some business venture also. Okay? Perfect. Thanks okay. so much for having me, Lacey. And thank you again. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay.